0: A heads up to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. This episode includes the name of someone who has died. Every January 5, Gubbi Gubbi tribal descendants of a man named Dundalee gather at the centre of Brisbane CBD in a place called Post Office Square.
1: It can be their Anzac Day, I guess you could say, or it could be as significant as that.
0: Dundeney was hanged here in the mid-1800s for actions of resistance against settlers carried out under Aboriginal law. For both Spearham, a Kamilaroi, Kuma and man, commemorations for leader bring mixed feelings. I feel very proud and, and honoured to sort of
1: be a part of this commemoration and you sort of feel sad that, you know, there's not enough. On the other side of the road is uh, Anzac Square as well. Literally look 200 metres away and there's a, a nice, clean monument to sort of every war that has been fought in Australia that includes Queenslanders and local people in Brisbane who've done significant things. It's like that reality check.
0: You're listening to Not At The Dinner Table, a podcast working through some difficult conversations. This episode... Aboriginal people fought for their land in scattered conflicts from 1788 to the 1930s. So what's the case to include the frontier wars on Anzac Day and in the Australian War Memorial?
2: Well, I have a strange arrangement. My grandfather name, my, gave me a tribal name at birth called Gilla, and uh, my mother registered to be at Michael Eckford, but I went to school as Michael Anderson, her married name. So everybody knows me as Giller or Michael Anderson, yeah.
0: Which one do you prefer? Um, Giller. Giller is a Ualier man and the last living founder of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. In April 2011, he was in Canberra to plan the embassy's 40th anniversary when he got an idea.
2: I said to about six guys, I said, look, let's rally some people. We're not going to tell them what we're doing. We don't want to give any warning. And then I said, all right, we're all going to gather over at Anzac at the bottom of the Anzac Parade. And um, they said, what are we going to do there? I said, we're going to march and we're going to hold a flag up, reminding them that there was
0: a war on on this land and a lot of bloodshed. It took police and the Canberra RSL off guard, but the activists were allowed to march behind the parade. And
2: so when we marched right up the top, we were totally shocked. And a lot of people were overcome by emotion when the people started clapping us. I felt that Canberra in particular and the people who came to pay their respects, and no doubt they respect all the Anzacs and the people who went to war, but the fact that they also respected the fact that this had to be, they accepted this as a um, reckoning, a day of reckoning as well to be recognised, was quite pleasing. And that's when I said Canberra became grown up people. At that time, and I thought, this is wonderful. And it's just that the the authorities, they're the ones now who have to wake up and accept the fact that something needs to be done.
0: Speaking more broadly than parades or statues, what does it mean for you to have the Frontier Wars recognised in Australia's military history?
2: Well, it means that um, they get to recognise the fact that Aborigines just did not roll over and allowed people to walk in without us defending our lands. A lot of people don't know how they sent out troops and how these militias, private militias of squatters, formed small militia groups and went out and just shot people where they were camping and killed them. So when you when you talk about plays like Wounded Knee and the massacre of Little Bighorn River in America and the way they they slaughtered the people there and went out and just killed them, Um you know, it's it's on par with all of that, and um, we didn't have anyone who was prepared to distribute guns to us. That we learned to use the guns back then, we'd have a very different Australia.
0: The RSL organises the Anzac Day parades. The head of the Canberra branch, John King, declined an interview for this episode. So that's just one option. People like Giller are pushing for another area. Activists and historians are trying to make ground in is recognition at the Australian War Memorial. Its director, Matt Anderson, also declined an interview. But we do have a statement from the memorial saying it isn't the right place to tell Frontier War stories. It's from 2013, but there's been no public change of stance since, so we're treating it as current.
1: The Frontier Wars were a series of actions that were carried out by British colonial forces stationed in Australia by the police and by local settlers. The memorial has found no substantial evidence that homegrown military units, whether state colonial forces or post-Federation Australian military units, ever fought against the Indigenous population of
3: this country.
0: Well, that's completely false history. Professor Lyndall Ryan is a colonial historian at the University of Newcastle.
3: Most of the wars were fought by, first of all, Australian-born people. Most of them were trained in Australia. And yes, there were British forces involved initially, but most of the members of those British forces chose to remain in Australia. And when they left the British regiments, they then formed local militia groups in Australia. So yes, they used the techniques of British training and military know-how. But uh, the British forces left in the 1840s. And after that, it was all Australian trained troops and police and militia forces who conducted the frontier wars. So I think that the War Memorial is engaging in an action of false history. They don't want to know. They don't want to know what happened on the Australian frontier. They don't want to know that it was largely fought by Australian born and Australians who had fought and engaged in overseas events. For example, we know that many of the soldiers who fought in the Boer War in South Africa in 1900 were then next found on the frontier in the Kimberley in Western Australia in the period up to and beyond World War One. We know that many returned servicemen from World War One were engaged in massacres in the Northern Territory and the Kimberley. In other words, those who fought in the frontier wars were largely men who already had military training. I think that makes a very strong case for the frontier wards to be
0: acknowledged by the Australian War Memorial. Another colonial historian from the University of Southern Queensland, Professor Libby Connors, says the military aspect of the frontier conflicts has gone under-acknowledged.
4: The greatest warfare was waged across this continent from 1788 to the 1930s. Uh, It's just that we hit it with the language of policing. I think the question is... There's differences between those historians who say, you know, it was massacres. They, they, the, the power imbalance was so great. Let's talk about massacre rather than warfare. There are others who say the official military incursions are what we should be focusing on. I mean, I think it's just a, a, it's just a combination of everything. There wasn't a strategy. Aboriginal people didn't try to push back against the white incursions, the white dispossession of them. They tried everything. I found Aboriginal people who tried cooperating with whites, tried negotiating with whites, who tried small-scale, precise attacks, who went to all-out warfare, who tried the kind of massacre up once we get to North Queensland. We have massacres of Europeans. We have Native police mutinying and turning on their officers. We have a whole detachment of Native police killed. There's just everything. And still, whites don't want to hear (laughs) I do, you know, I think if historians, I think most Australian historians are quite befuddled by the the deafness of the broader white community, the desire not to hear, not to know.
0: Then there's a different road where we have commemorations separate from Anzac Day and the memorial. This is Bo again, this time with less great audio thanks to tech limits at the time.
1: I don't think there's more conversation in regards to the statues and the plaques ones, you know. Aboriginal people need to sort of be acknowledged uh, about their uh, efforts and their their contribution in the frontier wars. And they need to be acknowledged within sort of Anzac Day as well. But I also think there needs to be sort of a separate thing put aside for those things, where they're taught about, where they're listened and where they're commemorated. These are the first battles to establish this continent. And then, you know, the the Anzacs and all these other ones are fought offshore.
0: What would that recognition look like on Anzac Day?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that day would look. But all I know is that there's a long way to go in this country before saying, hey, how's this day going to look? We need to sort of say, hey, let's sort of start talking about real history. What are we talking about World War I and Two. One of those wars was fought against Nazis for the obvious reason. You know, they wanted to sort of you know take over the whole world. But also you've got to acknowledge within what happened in both these world wars and also you know, in Vietnam as well, Aboriginal people, back home were sort of being suppressed and oppressed and denied their basic human rights as well. So I think within acknowledging that history, I, I think those, things, those conversations need to happen.
0: That caps the fourth and final episode of Not At The Dinner Table. Thank you to supervising editor Eliza Lorenko and to Louise Osborne, who you heard earlier reading the statement from the memorial. Thank you to Lucy Law, Riley Jones, Kirsten Hammermeister, Jennifer Macy and countless others for their feedback during the making of this series. Thank you to the people I interviewed, including many who didn't make the final cuts but helped the research and direction. I'm sure we'll find some way to put you into bonus content. Music and transcripts will be available on the website and captioned episodes on YouTube. Just keep an eye on our social media for when that goes up. Not at the Dinner Table is produced at the Turkin Student Magazine on the land of the Dharawal people in Wollongong, New South Wales. It was created and hosted by me, River Macrossan.